My name is Leroy Larry and welcome. Natural physics will explain in down-to-earth scenarios how the principles of physics could have come about from observing nature. Each episode begins with a scenario followed by an example to illustrate the application of these principles in futuristic research at the frontiers of science such as my astrophysics research and then concludes with an exploration of how these same principles could have very well been used by ancient cultures and civilizations. Mathematics is naturally encountered and incorporated as the exciting and fun tool of science that it is. Science is the window into our amazing world of nature and mathematics is the tool to open that window. Natural physics encompasses current, futuristic and ancient physics and ties them together by the principles of physics that are common threads running throughout each. Greetings. My name is Leroy Larry and welcome to Natural Physics, coming to you live from Costa Rica. In this episode, we will continue our exploration using physics and mathematics of the mysterious Mesoamerican pre-Columbian spheres of Costa Rica found nowhere else in the world. And now I would like to welcome my guest and colleague, Bruce Callow, author. Hello, Bruce. Hey, Leroy, how are you doing? Doing good, how are you? How are you, Bruce? I'm great, thanks for inviting me today. Oh, you're welcome. You're very welcome, Bruce. So, hey, Bruce, um, your two books, both of which are concerning Costa Rica, I'm really looking forward to hearing you talk about those books. The floor is yours. And uh, I may jump in from time to time to ask a question, but please, Bruce, it's, it's all yours. All right, thank, thanks so much, Leroy. And uh, good afternoon, good morning, good evening, uh, wherever you may be in the world. Um, I'm Bruce Callow. I'm from Calgary, Canada originally, but I've been living in Costa Rica for over 25 years, um, give or take a few months up in Canada. And um, I'm very happy to share with you guys a little bit about, uh, about the book or one of the books uh, that I co-wrote. It's about the Costa Ricans that work in NASA. And uh, there's a pretty interesting list of people that have contributed to a number of the NASA missions in different ways. And uh, astronauts, technicians, um, aerospace engineers. So it's a pretty, pretty interesting list of people and an oceanographer too. And the book uh, is called To the Stars, Costa Rica and NASA. So if I can get that, uh, uh, share the screen there. That would be great to let you guys in on some of the, uh, what's going on. Um, I'm a huge uh, Star Trek fan going back uh, to the, well, I guess the original series. I was practically, what, seven or eight years old. And I've grown up with it my entire life. But a, a really neat thing is the, the connection between NASA and Star Trek. And uh, we're gonna watch a couple of videos um, of, people from the Star Trek community. Uh, one is uh, Nana Visitor. For those of you who are uh, from uh, the Deep Space Nine generation, uh, that'll mean something. And she was kind enough to send us a, a greeting 
about our, our most recent book, uh, The Intrepids, Costa, Rica, Costa Ricans um, in Science and Technology. That's about women, basically. And we're profiling and giving, um, you know, more opportunities for people to know about these wonderful scientists and engineers, especially for the young generations to be able to see who these people are, what they had to go through, where they studied and, and stuff like that. So really, really neat. And the second video is um, from the creator and captain of Star Trek Continues. And um, it's, it's a less known Star Trek show, but I'm always happy to talk about it because basically that was a, a, crowd, a crowdsourced program and um, they created the, the fourth season of the original series in a very thoughtful and uh, entertaining way. And everyone who sees this show uh, realizes that it's actually on par with the original Star Trek in terms of writing and, and everything else. So it's, it's a lot of fun to connect with people in, in these communities and to be able to motivate yourself as, a, as an author, as a teacher, and also to have a lot of fun showing the videos to others so it's it's a it's a great privilege to even know these people so yeah if we'd like to go ahead and and watch those videos please anna luisa monge and bruce callow now now visitor here i have the honor of speaking to you because george callow wants to congratulate you on your new book the intrepids costa rican women in science and technology and I understand you have a book about women in NASA, as George says, Ad Astra. Congratulations. You're storytellers. You're telling true stories. I told stories that were science fiction. But I know, because it's interesting, I was just reading about the effect on women in science that Star Trek had. And it was huge. Little girls who watched the show and then decided that that's what they wanted to do with their lives. It was that it was because they saw women doing it. They saw the possibility of the truth of themselves in these fictional characters and what you're doing. I also was just reading about hope. And hope can be taught to children. And one of the ways you do it is by showing people who have done it before them. You give them examples. And this is exactly what you're doing. You're telling true stories that will inspire, that will give young women and young girls hope. And I couldn't be more congratulatory to you or more hopeful for what this means for the future or happier that you're out there doing such a wonderful purpose for the world. We need those young Costa Rican women and congratulations. We both are sending our admiration for what the two of you have done. Greetings from the Enterprise. <laughs> Bruce, Anna, I just wanted to uh, take a minute right here on our beautiful sets where we shot Star Trek continues to say congratulations on your brand new book, Intrepids. Now there's a good Star Trek word, right? That was one of the ships in the fleet. Intrepids. Um, 
Costa Rican women in science and technology. What a fascinating idea. And then your original book, of course, um, To the Stars, right? Costa Rica in NASA. Uh, my mom has been to Costa Rica several times. She loves it down there. Um, congratulations, and, and God bless you guys for contributing and participating in uh, carrying on Gene Roddenberry's vision. Uh, that's what we wanted to do with Star Trek Continues. And uh, what a better place to, to send you well wishes and congratulations than from the Bridge of the Enterprise. You guys are doing great work. Uh, continue your amazing writing. And uh, we wish you guys the very, very best. I'm gonna send you from the captain's chair a live long and prosper. Congratulations on your books and hope for many more to come. Yeah, well, thanks. Thanks so much to to both of those exceptional people. And uh, through the cameo service, you'd be surprised um, how um, a one time video arrangement can blossom into a friendship, basically. And uh, Nana Visitor uh, recently did a web conference uh, with Costa Rican students, um, you know, on a volunteer basis. Absolutely fantastic. And Vic, um, just confirmed today, in fact, that in July, he's going to visit us and do, do a conference as well. A wonderful bridge that connected uh, as, as a result of that cameo was uh, Sandra Kaufman uh, from our book. And I'll share my screen now if I, if I could and introduce you to a few of the people in, uh, in our book. And um, one of the most exceptional ones is, is Sandra Kaufman indeed. A big Star Trek fan going back, you know, to the 1970s. And she's currently the deputy director of NASA's Earth Science uh, Division. And as a result of our cameo, um, I was able to help connect uh, Nana with, with Sandra. And uh, she interviewed Sandra for a new book that, she's, that Nana is writing uh, called The Women of Star Trek. And the impact that Star Trek uh, has had in people in NASA is is exceptional. I know Leroy will agree with me. Um, and he he uh, he, he quotes uh, the original series and the movies in a very interesting way. I think that's one of the things, right, Leroy? That we when we first met, um, you were a JPL guy, but you were also a Star Trek guy, right? Yes, for sure. Oh, definitely, <laughs> most definitely, yes. <laughs> so I'm like, he's, this is my kind of guy. Except the difference <laughs> is he knows about physics and he can actually understand it. I'm, I'm just a fan. Um, I was terrible at science, and uh, but I was a huge fan and admirer of the people that could do that stuff. So here I am uh, able to, to meet such wonderful people and a little cameo um, from my, uh, my action figure here. I don't know if you can see Nana back in the day. <laughs> When she was a, an action figure, I remember I showed I showed that to. Oh, sorry, I, I'm interrupting my my screen share. I remember showing this to her along with Quark uh, during the uh, web conference, and she just killed herself laughing. So that was pretty pretty funny. Sorry, if we can go back to the the screen share. So what we do what we do with our book is we what we previously used to go to schools and universities any, anywhere we could. Boy Scouts, you name it, and meet uh, kids from all over the place and introduce our, our heroes. That's what we, we call them. 
um, the people in our book. These are heroes that you won't hear about in the news. You won't even really know that they exist outside of you know their families and, and their communities. But they're the ones that actually behind the scenes are making all of these space missions happen. Um, the astronauts get all the attention, right? And fair enough, right? They're the ones risking their, their lives on uh, going up in rockets. But for every astronaut, there are thousands, literally, of people um, doing, doing amazing work. So what we like to do is point out to the, the students where the NASA centers are. These are the official centers, right? And, you know, the JPL, I guess, and Johnson Space Center and Kennedy are, you know, three of the, the, the most known NASA centers. But then hugely important uh, to mention all of the, the companies and the universities and, of course, the international partners that work with NASA. So when we're talking to kids, it's really, really important to kind of like to, to demystify what, what NASA really is. And the way you can start working with NASA will start possibly with an internship. So that's an exciting opportunity. Here in Costa Rica, uh, we're very proud um, of most, well, most of all the people in this book, but most Costa Ricans know um, about Franklin Chan. And he flew seven times in the space shuttle, which is, is a record that he shares with Jerry Ross. And uh, he helped build the International Space Station. Um, he helped, he actually didn't help, but he, he, he went up to the near space station, that Russian space station, had some adventures up there. And he helped develop, uh, created actually, the, the Vasimir um, engine, which will enable uh, space travel to achieve a lot higher velocities. And you know, going to Mars in 39 days is the thing that they often mention. Um, and that's, this is a projection of what uh, one of his spacecraft might look like one day. And uh, part of the, part of one of the components was developed in the UK. So that's why we have the, the picture there. Um, Jeanette Benavides, and she was uh, a nanotechnologist, a chemist, and an expert in so many different things. She developed about 10 or 11 patents um, when she was with NASA. She worked there for about 25 years. And there she is speaking to a group of students uh, about three years ago here in Santa Ana, Costa Rica. And she, along with a number of the, the other uh, people in our book, worked on the Cassini uh, space probe which of course went to, to Saturn. Uh, we have four people, if I'm not mistaken, in our book with the last names Mora. Um, two of them are brothers and the others are, are not related. And three of them work at, at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. And this is Victor Mora, um, an aerospace engineer. And he worked on Cassini along with a long list of other uh, projects. Uh, Roy, when you were at JPL, you may have ran into him uh, somewhere uh, he's been there for like over over 25 years, and I love to to point out uh, that yeah, it's a big place, right? JPL, you're not necessarily gonna know everybody, are you? <laughs> right, that's very true. But uh, on on the off chance, um, there's some people do run into each other. Um, this is Titan, and uh, I I use this when I'm giving workshops of kids it's such an exciting mission how the Huygens probe that was part of Cassini uh, it touched down on on Titan uh, so pretty JPL video so that would be perhaps not in today's uh, 
presentation. We're just going to go a little bit through the uh, through the slides here. Oh, there's one thing I wanted to ask you, Leroy. Uh, when Franklin Chang went up, um, I can't remember the exact mission, uh, helped deploy the Galileo um, probe that went to Jupiter that you worked on, right? Yes, that is correct. Uh, let me put on my headphones real quick. Um, and and by the way, if if for some reason I cut out, uh, we haven't had in my locality we haven't had Wi-Fi since early this morning, so I've been using the internet uh, provider. So uh, just a little while ago I cut out, but I was able to come back. So if I disappear, it wasn't by choice, okay? But yes. Um, when Galileo was taken up on board the Atlantis uh, space, um, space shuttle, Dr. Chang was the pilot. And uh, this was 1989. And at that time, I was uh, still a graduate student. I was actually at the Marshall Space Flight Center uh, doing uh, research on an instrument that could help determine the effects of the Earth's magnetosphere and also the solar wind on the space shuttle while in orbit around the Earth. Uh, it was great. I was at NASA as a graduate student. And so I watched the launch of the Atlantis with Galileo on board, never, ever, ever dreaming that three years later, I would actually have the opportunity to join the Galileo project. Um, and, and now that I'm living in Costa Rica, and, and Dr. Chang was the pilot of the Atlantis, and he's a national hero here in Costa Rica. Also at that time in 1989, I would have never ever dreamed that I would wind one day be living in uh, Costa Rica. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's a lot of, lot of interesting connections. He was, he was actually a, a mission specialist. Um, he's not a, a formal pilot himself, but yeah, he he would go, he went up seven times, basically being you know, a specialist. I had a question that I've always wanted to ask you, Leroy, about uh, Galileo. For example, when they send a spacecraft to like Voyager or Cassini, or you know, they usually just launch a rocket and the, the rocket goes straight to the to its destination. But I don't I never understood why they went up in the space shuttle and then sort of like sent it out like a satellite. How did, how did that work with with, um, with your probe? Wow, great question, Bruce. Um, again, Galileo was launched in 1989 and actually it was supposed to have been launched, uh, I believe in 1986, but because of the Challenger tragedy, the whole shuttle schedule understandably got moved back. So it was launched three years later than it was supposed to. And during that three year period, the alignment of the planets had changed such that the original trajectory, which was more of a straight shoot to Jupiter was no longer possible. Uh, so what the scientists had to do was figure out how to get Galileo to Jupiter with that present configuration of the planets and their gravitational fields. So what they figured out was 
when Galileo was launched in 1989, it, it first went out as far as Venus, and then it used Venus's gravitational field to give it a boost, and it whipped around Venus and came back to the Earth, and that was called the, the first Earth flyby. And so then it mm -hmm. used Earth's gravitational field to gain energy and whip around the Earth, slingshot out and go a little bit further out. And then mm. it came again to the Earth and got a second gravitational assist from the Earth's gravitational mm. field. And then when it whipped around the Earth that second time, it was on its way to Jupiter. So okay. it took Galileo from 1989 to 1995 to get to Jupiter using that method. And it would have been a lot shorter had Galileo been able to have been launched in 1986 oh. instead of 1989. But to me, it's just so cool how they figured out how to use the gravitational field of Earth and Venus to help Galileo get to Jupiter yeah. in the same fuel. And well, isn't that thanks cool? Thanks for explaining that. It's always, <laughs> I always kind of, yeah, I, I don't know why we've talked about so many things that I never got around to asking you. But how did originally the what's they they sort of just put it out of the out of the space shuttle, and then how did it, what was the propulsion to get it even as far as Venus? That initial part of the trip. Yeah, what, it had. How did they it, set? How, it has. It has. Mm -hmm. Sure, it has little booster rockets, right, that lifted it up out okay. of the cargo bay of the shuttle and then gave it a directional orientation to get it going in the right uh, direction in order to, to start taking advantage of the Earth's gravitational field. Okay, and, and I gotta say, fast at that of, <laughs> I gotta say though, one, one of the cool things, now when I joined Galileo in 1992, it had already had the first Earth flyby. So I wasn't on the project for that but I was on the project for the second Earth flyby. And this is what's so interesting. There, there were 11 instruments on board Galileo that measured different phenomena, such as magnetic fields, plat, space plasmas. Now, this is interesting. With all those instruments on board Galileo and what they measure, when they directed those instruments at the Earth during the second Earth flyby, not one of them detected life on Earth. Isn't that interesting? Hmm. You had instruments that detected magnetic fields and electrical current and, and different to fit pictures, but not one of them held evidence that there was life on Earth. I just thought that was the most interesting. Hmm. Weird. Uh, aspect. Yeah, unknown, unknown founders with really, two aspects. Really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gasper and Ida. Now I missed Gasper. I wasn't on the project yet, but I was there for when Galileo made the uh, close approach to to the asteroid Ida, and uh, and so again, amazing project and the current Juno. The current NASA Jet Propulsion Laboratory Juno mission to Jupiter definitely mm -hmm. built upon 
all the new uh, discoveries that Galileo made. Mm -hmm. Yes. Amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, so many, so many things to, you could you could delve into, um, and it, these are unknown facts to the general public for the most part. Another another detail was Franklin Chang. He was scheduled to have been on Challenger uh, back in 1986, um, and he it was just three weeks before Challenge the Challenger flight that he was shifted to Columbia. And uh, so, yeah, that was the last minute change that saved his life and changed history. But um, yeah, but we, we never know what can happen. And luckily, um, you know, those problems that happened in Challenger were avoided in future, uh, future flights. Of course, there were others um, that it was, a, it was a, a spacecraft that served a great purpose, but there were obviously some design issues that never really 100% got solved, did they? Yes, that's true. And <laughs> uh, Bruce, you know, um, I actually had the opportunity to see a real shuttle in person. And, and, and you know, you, you being the Star Trek expert that you are, before I, I start telling this story and I have a video to show. Um, I have a question for you, Bruce. Do you know what the name of the very first space shuttle, space shuttle was? It, 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 never, it never went on an, an actual mission, but it was the first, my understanding, it was the first space yeah. shuttle to go up into, to, to, be, to orbit the earth and to test out everything. Do you know what the name of that space shuttle was? I do believe I do, and I can show you something. It uh, it was pick it up something like this, if I'm not mistaken. And if you can see that, yes, yeah, and then and then they were able to practice landing it. That was the Enterprise, right? Exactly, Mundo. Exactly, Bruce. The Enterprise. Now I wonder where they got the name Enterprise from. Would you care to hazard a, to hazard a guess on that, Bruce? <laughs> I think there were one or two Star Trek fans at the time that got together and uh, organized a petition. And uh, by the time they had finished their petition, NASA was begging them to stop writing letters because they'd already probably received the hundreds of thousands of people saying, call it the Enterprise. Is it okay? <laughs> okay, we'll do it. <laughs> How about that? How about that? And let me just say, because I don't, I don't want us to run out of time, but when I was at JPL, every month, I'm sorry, every year for Black History Month, they would invite a speaker to come and, and speak. And I had the fortunate opportunity to have met um, uh, the captain, Paul Winfield. He played the captain in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, which is probably, no, not probably, it is my favorite Star Trek movie. And I was so bummed out that I found out that about two years before I got to JPL, Nichelle Nichols had been invited to come and speak, Uhura. Oh, wow. That, so again, uh, there's the JPL Star Trek connection. And one last thing I wanna say, you mentioned about how you could not run into somebody 
Okay, uh, Mark, Raymond, your speaker for your NASA webinar series. We met each other our freshman year in college, 18 years old. We both, by taking different paths, we both wound up at JPL on different projects. We were there during the same time period, never crossed paths, never crossed paths. And after 46 years, how do we cross paths? By virtue of your webinar, Bruce, isn't that amazing? <laughs> I think so. That's what it's all about. And you never, you never know. Um, I mean, the, how it's so random, you know, I meet okay. you. And, and so now, find out, I'm yeah. sorry. Oh, by the way, by the way, I work at, I worked at JPL just as an afterthought, right? <laughs> right, right, right. Okay. Uh, I would, I would very much like to play this five minute video now. And let me give you a little background, everybody. In, in 2012, the Endeavor, the last space shuttle to fly, was brought to Los Angeles and housed in the museum, uh, the California Museum of Science. And so when it was flown into LAX, Los Angeles airport, they, they needed to transport it to this museum. And they, they mapped out a special, they mapped out a special route for it. Uh, and unfortunately they had to clear some trees to make way for the wingspan, to make way for the wingspan. Uh, but okay, now this specially built tow truck is moving at a velocity of two miles per hour, which equates to about three feet per second, which equates to about a meter per second. So this specially built tow truck is just inching along with the Endeavor on it, on its way from LAX to the California uh, uh, Museum of Science. Now, the Endeavor space shuttle weighed 80 five tons. Do you remember our sphere from last episode using our physics and mathematics equations came out to be about a hundred tons. So our sphere weighs more than the endeavor. Okay, now let's, let's review a little bit how we came up with that a hundred tons. We made some assumptions we assume that the sphere was a perfect sphere, which again, whoever did that, <laughs> let the doubt, right? I mean, over the thousands of years, of course, time is gonna erode it, but let's just say it's pretty close to a sphere. Now we started with an equation from, from physics, the equation for density, I'm not gonna let my mouth get dry like it did last week. Okay, the physics, the equation from physics says that the density of an object is equal to the mass of that <clears throat> the mass of that object with respect to its size, how big it is. So mass over volume. That's where we started with an equation from physics that was gotten from a whole lot of experiments. Then we used algebra. We said, okay, let's do a little switching around in the equation. And we got that the mass of our sphere, its density times its volume. We looked up the density 
for that particular rock. And then we use equations from geometry for a sphere to get the, the circumference, the surface area, and the volume. By the way, this crowd they're showing right now, my wife and I, Tirza, we're somewhere in that crowd. Oh, we had to be there to see that monumental event of the endeavor being transported through the streets of LA. Okay, so, um, so using those, those uh, and we assume that the density of the sphere was uniform all the way through. Okay, using that mass for our sphere of, of um, 9,300 kilograms, and when you multiply that by gravity and you divide by uh, a, a, um, a ton being 907 kilograms, we came up with the number of about 100 tons, okay? Ballpark, ballpark figure, just to get an idea. So as you watch the shuttle being transported and what extraordinary measures had to be taken to construct this tow truck to transport it, which weighs less than our sphere. Concerning our sphere, of course, you have the questions of who, when, why, and especially how. But I submit we have another question. How was that sphere transported? Okay? Now, the shuttle takes up a much larger surface area. So the flatbed of that tow truck is, is it has an area that it can uh, support the shuttle and it can carry it. But something like our sphere, in comparison, the, 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 the uh, surface area of our sphere is 10 square meters and its volume is six square, uh, six cubic meters. By comparison, the space shuttle has a length of about 184 feet. The Endeavour space shuttle has a length of about 184 feet and the diameter of the cabin is about, uh, I believe it's about 60 feet, much larger volume, right? So you distribute that weight over a much larger area, the flatbed of that specially built tow truck. But now let's look at our sphere. Only a diameter of, what did we say, uh, uh, six, uh, six meters, and only a, uh, I'm sorry, only a circumference of six meters, only a diameter of 1.8 meters, and the radius was 0.9 meters. Volume, uh, surface area of 10 square meters, volume of six cubic meters. So you're looking at a very, very much smaller object, um, in, much smaller in size than the Endeavour Space Shuttle, but weighing more. So what method was used? And by the way, in our next episode, we're going to use phys physics and mathematics to look at the, the amount of work and the power that was required by this huge machine, this tow truck, to transport the Endeavour space shuttle at 85 tons. And then we're gonna say, okay, how many human beings <laughs> would it take to be able to move the sphere, how much power, how many average human beings, and where would they apply that force? 
where would they apply the force that's needed to move an object that is 100 tons in weight? So that's what we're gonna look at in our next episode. I know we've gone over, but again, uh, we have a lot um, to do with these spheres. And one thing I wanna leave you with, a very close friend of mine had quite an insight. Uh, he's gonna be a guest on a future episode. This was his question to me. Okay, yes, we have the who built the spheres, when, why, and, and especially how. But get this, if you go north to Nicaragua, Nicaragua, you don't find any spheres, do you? No. And if you go south to Panama, no spheres. If you go to the east, if you go to the west, it's as if, I don't know what the exact square geographical area of Costa Rica is, but for some reason, somebody millennia ago decided that this area was the place to do these spheres. Nowhere else in the world, this small area of Costa Rica has some kind of significance that made it where only here were these spheres constructed by whoever, whenever, why ever, and however. So that's, that's the next question I would like to add to the mix is, what is it about Costa Rica that is so unique and special in all the world that whatever mysterious race using whatever mysterious techniques they had picked this little bitty part of planet Earth to make these unbelievably mysterious, amazing specimens of engineering and science and physics and math. So I will leave you with that. Tune in next week. Same fat time, same fat channel. Hello, everyone. I'm very happy to be here with you today. My name is Teacher Mariela. I'm going to introduce you to my friends, the spheres. They have different sizes. They are not the real ones, of course. They are replicas. We are located in La Libertad of Sardinal in Carrillo, Guanacaste. This is the park. And the elementary school is right in front of the park. This is the elementary school where I teach English. I hope you to enjoy learning physics and fun. Thank you, goodbye.